Today's scripture reading is Matthew chapter 1, verses 1 through 17. This is the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, Judah the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar, Perez the father of Hezron, Hezron the father of Ram, Ram the father of Amminadab, Amminadab the father of Nashon, Nashon the father of Salmon, Salmon the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab, Boaz the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth, Obed the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of King David. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. Solomon, the father of Rehoboam. Rehoboam, the father of Abijah. Abijah, the father of Asa. Asa, the father of Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat, the father of Jehoram. Jehoram, the father of Uzziah. Uzziah, the father of Jotham. Jotham, the father of Ahaz. Ahaz, the father of Hezekiah. Hezekiah, the father of Manasseh. Manasseh, the father of Amon, Amon, the father of Josiah, and Josiah, the father of Jeconiah and his brothers at the time of the exile to Babylon. After the exile to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Shealtiel, Shealtiel, the father of Zerubbabel, Zerubbabel, the father of Abihud, Abihud, the father of Eliakim, Eliakim, the father of Azor, Azor, the father of Zadok. Zadok, the father of Achim, Achim, the father of Elihud, Elihud, the father of Eleazar, Eleazar, the father of Mathen, Mathen, the father of Jacob, and Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, and Mary was the mother of Jesus, who is called the Messiah. Thus, there were 14 generations in all from Abraham to David, 14 from David to the exile to Babylon, and 14 from the exile to the Messiah. This is the word of the Lord. Welcome to the Bible. <laughs> that was fun. Hey, that was a, those are some fun names. Uh, and so if you're brand new to Jesus, like, the, the, welcome. This is a great Sunday to dive in. Um, to, to the scriptures, to, to see what God would want to say to us through this incredible list of names. So welcome. Hey, before we dive into that beautiful list of names, I um, want to just uh, add my two cents to making spirits bright. Uh, it, it is just a, it's a casual, fun uh, evening that's a perfect step to invite or to introduce uh, people in your life who maybe don't know Jesus or are new to Christianity to the Christmas story. Uh, just a reminder, we do not put this event on for Christians, right? This is not like a living Christmas tree where we're like, oh, it's so nice to, to this. Advent is for us as, Christ, as Christians, as we worship the Lord. This event is specifically to introduce people to, uh, who don't know the Christmas story to, to the Christmas story. And it's a fun evening. The evening can get loud, but hopefully it's a joyful welcome uh, and, a, and an evening of hospitality to all of our friends and family who, who are new to Jesus. So if you think about someone to invite, uh, I hope uh, they say yes, and uh, we'd love to, to have you with us. So here we are in Advent. For the next four Sundays, we are studying the birth of Jesus. 
We're walking through Matthew's, Matthews, <laughs> Matthew chapter 1 and 2 as we move towards Christmas. And uh, if you are new to the Bible, just so you know, uh, there are two accounts of Jesus' birth, and it's only when they come to, when we see them together where we get this fullness of everything that happened when Jesus was born. And so the two uh, gospel accounts that we get the story of Jesus from are the book of Matthew and the book of Luke. Now, um, the book of Luke is the most popular one, the most popular one. So it's the one that has angels in the night sky, shepherds, a census, Gabriel visiting Mary. All of that is in Luke. But Matthew 1 and 2 is the slightly less popular account of Jesus' birth, and it includes a genealogy, really interesting people coming from the East, Joseph's dreams, and an escape to Egypt. Um, and so there's so much, and I think when we put them together, we see this beautiful picture of everything that happened. But this Christmas, we are going to focus on, Ma on the Gospel of Matthew, chapters 1 to 2. So there's a lot to learn, there's a lot to see, and as always, I don't have enough time this morning. But we're going to dive into it, and I told the first service, I'm going to maybe talk as fast as that Micro Machines guy did in the 80s in that commercial. Remember that? No. Okay, <laughs> Google it. Anyway, so, all right, so lots to learn, lots to see. So uh, let's pray. Let's dedicate this time to the king. Let's ask for him to speak to us. And just a, just a reminder for all of you who are coming and you're like, we're about to go through a list of names. Like, I'm coming anxious, fearful, discouraged, feeling low, a lot going on in my life. Uh, I just want to say there is something here for you today. The Spirit of God, I think, wants to encourage you and to give you hope today as we look at this genealogy. So let's pray for that. Father, we come to you, and a lot of us are coming dry, weary, depressed, anxious, fearful about the future, distracted, tempted. We need you. We need you. We need you to come fill us with hope, a hope that is rooted in you. And so we pray that in the coming minutes, you would fill this room with hope and courage that we can face uncertain days because you live, because you reign, because you're here and you love us. So open up your word to us. May we see it like as though it's the first time. And would you fill us with joy as we walk through your scriptures? We pray this in your name. Amen. Okay, so uh, I want to talk about family trees. <clears throat> family trees, because what we see today is Jesus' family tree. If Jesus were to go onto some website like Ancestry.ca or some other website and start to work out his family tree, this is uh, one of the lines of that tree. Uh, one of the lines of that family tree. And I just want to put up a few pictures here. This is a little bit of my family tree. And uh, these are some, some wonderful people that I love dearly. And uh, my parents are on the lower right. Um, uh, that's Brad and Susie, uh, mom and dad. But then on the lower left, that's um, Big Daddy and Mimi. That's what I call them, Big Daddy and Mimi. Big Daddy was, so those are my mom's parents. And uh, he was six foot seven. 250 pounds. He's a huge grandpa. So anyway, he's, uh, he fought in World War II. Like he's, he's an intense guy. So that's Big Daddy and Mimi. On the upper right, that's, um, I called them Papa and Grandmama, but their actual names were Paris and Lura Price. Paris and Lura Price. So those are my dad's parents. And they're holding a very cute baby, don't you think? 
Uh, I think that's one of the cutest children I've ever seen. Uh, anyway, I, I didn't put that up on purpose. It's, it's literally the only picture I could find. Uh, it includes me. Uh, so then uh, to their left, um, that's Joe and Gladys Riddle. So those are my mom's grandparents. They lived in a tiny little town called Bochito, Oklahoma. Bochito, uh, cute little town. And then, and then on the upper left, that's the oldest picture I think I have of, of a relative. That's Charles Price. So that's my, my dad's grandpa. And he was the one who took the Prices, the Price family, from Tennessee to Oklahoma. And, uh, uh, and so I think it was like 1907 or something like that. So anyway, all these people are, are from Oklahoma. And so I have lots of roots in Oklahoma and, uh, and I love them. But when I look at that family tree, I just want to say two things that I learned when I explore that family tree. Just so you know, there's positives, uh, hard things, broken stories, right? All of our family's tree is a, is a mixed bag of different stories. But I do want to say two positive things when I look at the family tree. First of all, I learn a bit of who I am when I look at that group because there are multiple teachers in that group, multiple teachers. My dad was a preacher, mom, an elementary school teacher. Charles, that guy in the upper left, he was a one-room schoolhouse teacher uh, in Oklahoma right when it became a state. Uh, Big Daddy, he was a school principal. Uh, my Aunt Janine was a school principal. Like, there's just lots of educators in my family. And, um, and I kind of feel like my love of teaching had come from that, uh, from that family tree. The second thing is their deep love for Jesus. Uh, all those people love Jesus and were very active in their local churches and wanted to honor Jesus with their life. And so those are two things that I've inherited, a deep love for the good news of Jesus. In my, par- my grandparents were church planters. Like, it was just amazing just to watch their faithfulness. And so I feel like when I look at that story, my family tree, I, I, I ask the question, who am I, right? What, what, have, what have I inherited and so when, when you look at your family tree, what are some themes that you see amidst the brokenness, the beautiful things? What are some of the things, the legacy, right, that has been left, given to you when you look at your family tree? See, anytime we look at a family tree, we should be asking the question, you know, so who am I, right? We should be asking when we see Jesus' family tree, who is he? Who is he? Or the question we sing every Christmas, what child is this? What child is this? If, if you just look, if you don't know anything about Jesus, but you just looked at the family tree, what, would you, what are some clues that you would be picking up about who this child would become? What can we learn? What child is this? Are you ready to dive in to see? I hope you have your Bible open. We're going to be in Matthew 1, obviously, and we're going to start in verse 1. And just so you know, this is the very first verse of the New Testament, the very first verse of the Gospel of Matthew. So with our Bibles open, let's check it out. Let's check out line one. This is the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Focus on that word, genealogy, genealogy. With those words, the New Testament begins. This is the genealogy. Did you know that that word in Greek is the word Genesis? Genesis, that's not an accident. Matthew, the gospel writer, puts this word Genesis here for a reason. With the coming of this child, we have a Genesis, a a, a beginning, 
a new thing happening, a new creation coming. In this little child born into poverty and straw, we have a new start. The world gets a fresh start, a fresh hope, a fresh hope. Keep reading. This is the genealogy of what? Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Pause right there, Jesus. Jesus is Greek, right? Joshua is Hebrew, or it's Yeshua, Yeshua. Yeshua, Joshua, Jesus, it's the same name, same name. Jesus is just the Greek form of the Hebrew, uh, Yeshua, Joshua. And the name means God saves, God saves. What is it about his name that gives us an indication of what he will do in his life? See, the angel appeared to Joseph, Jesus' father, in a dream, saying, she will give birth to a son, and you're to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from what? Their sins, their sins. This little child will save the people from their sin. Keep reading. This is the genealogy of Jesus. So let's, let's insert these words we're learning. This is the genesis of Yeshua, the Messiah. Messiah. Messiah, what's that about? Well, Messiah is a word that shows up four times in Matthew chapters one to two. It's an important word for the gospel writer, for Matthew. Messiah is a word that simply means anointed one anointed one. But you need to know that the kings of Israel, they were anointed to become king. And so whenever you think about the anointed one, the Messiah, you should be thinking about the king. The anointed one means the king. The Messiah means the king. So let's keep reading. This is the genesis of Yeshua, the anointed one, the king, the son of David, son of David. The people of Israel had a lot of good kings and bad kings. If, if you're new to the Bible, if you read the first half, you know, this thick part right here, <laughs> you will read a lot of stories of some great kings of God's people and some horrific kings of God's people. It was a mixed bag. But there was one king that was the pinnacle of the monarchy in Israel's history, and that was King David. Lots of flaws to King David, but David was, was the one to whom God had made the following promise, 2 Samuel 7, your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. But it had been a long time since Israel had had a good king, much less a king from David's family. If you're interested to know, Herod is the, is the current king of, of Israel, and he is not from the line of David. He's not. He's not from the true line of, of, of King David. And, and so uh, that's, these words are a threat to Herod. It's a threat. Who is this baby that's, that's born king of the Jews, right? It's a threat to Herod. And it's a threat to any king who thinks that they have the ultimate power. Even today, these words are a threat right? The rightful king is coming. Let's keep reading. This is the genesis of Yeshua, the king, the heir to the throne. Let's insert that there. Heir to the throne, son of David. Finally, the son of Abraham. Son of Abraham. 
2,000 years before the birth of Jesus, God appeared to a man named Abraham. And God made a promise to Abraham and to his wife, Sarah. They're like an old couple at this point. But, they, but God promised them this. I will make you into a great nation. This little couple, right? I'm going to make you into a great nation and I will bless you. And all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you, through you. See, God promised to bless all the peoples of the earth through this family that would come from Abraham and Sarah. Or through the, the promise was for the seed of Abraham, that through the seed of Abraham, the nations would be blessed. Well, here comes a child, the seed of Abraham, and all the nations of the earth will be blessed through him. Okay, do you see how loaded this first sentence is? Put it all together. What do we see? This is the genesis of Yeshua, the king, the heir to the throne, and the blessing to the nations. Do you see it? Verse one, done. Congratulations, we did verse one. How are we doing? <laughs> right? This is Christmas. This is, the, this is the joy of Christmas. This is the reason for the season. This is, this is where we get our hope, right? Now, as we move on, uh, we are startled to find this genealogy. And our impulse is to be like, ah, dry old genealogy. But your names, names like Aminadab, Jehoshaphat, Zerubbabel, great baby names if you are looking for one. Uh, Pastor Ben and his wife Lillian just had their baby. And we were all so excited. But the night before they had their baby, I thought I would text them some advice because I was studying this passage. So I said, have you considered Zerubbabel, uh, a cute little Aminadab or snuggly Jehoshaphat? So uh, they didn't go with, with that, uh, but uh, they went with Poppy, Poppy Fredrickson. So cute little Poppy is born and we're all excited. So I wanna point out two things about this genealogy. It's far from a dry list of names. And I hope in a few minutes you're gonna see that. It's far from a dry list of names. So I wanna do two things. First, I wanna talk about the three sets of 14 generations. Do you see that there? When your Bible's open, three sets of 14 generations. And the second thing I wanna talk about are the names of some of the women that we find in the genealogy. There's a lot more we could say about the genealogy, but I just wanna focus on those two today. First, the three sets of 14 generations. Verse 17, thus there were 14 generations in all, from Abraham to David, 14 from David to the exile to Babylon, and 14 from the exile to the Messiah. Now, some of you keeners are like, I don't think that's right, right? Like, Matthew, the gospel writer, has missed some generations, right? There are not 14 generations between Abraham and David, or between David and the exile. And by the way, if you notice that, congrats. Like, you are officially a Bible nerd. Uh, and I mean that as a compliment, like in a good way, right? You're like, wait, just a second. There's not 14 generations. So, so what is Matthew, the gospel writer, doing? What is he doing? Is he trying to, like, you know, lie to us or manipulate the reader or something like that? Not at all. Not at all. He's not messing with history. Let me tell you why. First of all, the Greek verb, uh, genao, uh, is translated in your English Bibles, the father of, but that's a, it, it's a little misleading because it, it, it can actually mean uh, the ancestor of, right? The ancestor of. And so you can skip some generations, right? Just in the same way that I, I'm the son of Brad, but 
Genao, uh, the ancestor, uh, Paris Price is my ancestor, right? And so you can kind of skip a generation. So I think that's a little bit of what's happening. And Matthew is only highlighting key characters in the genealogy of Jesus. He doesn't include every generation. Why? Because he's making a point with numbers. I want to say that again. He's making a point with numbers. If you love math and you love numbers, this is your Bible text. You will love this. Let me show you what Matthew is saying with numbers. You see, in Jewish uh, writing and culture, the number seven is always a number of completeness and perfection. Completeness and perfection. We see that throughout the Bible, the number seven. And notice throughout history, before the coming of Jesus, Matthew wants us to see six sets of seven. Six sets of seven. Do you notice that? 14, 14, 14. So that's three sets of 14 or six sets of seven. There's six sets of time periods between Abraham and Jesus. And the question that any Jewish reader would ask when they're reading the Bible is, uh, okay, who is the one who is going to come to bring about the seventh set of seven? Who's going to bring out the seventh set of seven? In other words, who would be the perfectly complete one to come and bring us into a perfectly complete age to come? I want to say that again. Who would be the perfectly complete one to come and bring us into a perfectly complete kingdom or age to come? Well, this child born to Mary and Joseph will begin the seventh set of seven. He brings a perfect, complete age to come, a new kingdom, a new time period in history when God will begin to put the world back together. Do you see it? Do you see it? Now, some of you might ask, okay, that sounds good, but why three sets of 14, right? Why, why three sets of 14? It doesn't seem to be laid out that way, right? Like six sets of seven? No, it's three sets of 14. Well, did you know that in Hebrew, letters are given a numerical value? Some of you may have known that. It's called gematria. The numerical value of a Hebrew name uh, is, uh, is that you add up the consonants. So you remove the vowels and you add up the consonants. And each letter has a number. And so there's a total to your name. Like your name in Hebrew would have a certain value to it. Um, so the Hebrew name for David, or the, 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 uh, the number for King David is 14. It's 14. Let me show you how it works. So D is the number four. V, six, D, four. 14. Remember, vowels are removed and only consonants are given uh, a numerical value. So any Jewish reader, when reading this, knows that the number 14 is King David's number. And Matthew includes the number 14 three times. Three times. And so I believe that Matthew, the gospel writer, inspired by the Holy Spirit, is saying this, David, 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 or a new King David has come. A new King David has come. A new King David has come. And it's in a set of three, which is incredibly important because it's a number of fullness. Why is it that the people of God sing holy, 
holy, holy. Why is it that the angels uh, that are gathered around the throne say, holy, holy, holy? Why is it that Isaiah hears uh, these angelic creatures singing, holy, 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 uh, in the temple, right? Three times it captures the fullness of God's glory and holiness. And so here we see David, 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 capturing the fullness of the glory of the new king who has come. Do you see it? Right. Jesus begins the seventh set of seven. The king has come. And back to that very first word. This is the Genesis. Where was another moment when there were six days of creation? Right? And then all of a sudden on the seventh, God gives creation rest. So who's the one that is in a new creation that will bring us rest? Ultimate rest, heavenly rest, the rest of God for the world. A, a, a space and place when the new creation is done that you and I might find rest for our souls. Who is that? Right here. It's unreal. It's unreal. This is not a dry genealogy. Matthew is telling us something. He wants us to see Jesus. Do you see him? Secondly, I want us to look at the women in Jesus' genealogy. There are five women, Tamar, Rahab, Ruth, Bathsheba, and Mary. You see that there? Tamar, Rahab, Ruth, Bathsheba, and Mary. Quick note, you won't find Bathsheba's name. It's not written in the text, but she is, look at verse 6, the wife of Uriah the Hittite. So that's Bathsheba. Now, here's what you need to know. Some of these women were outsiders. They were not Jewish. They were not Jewish women. A lot of the names in the genealogy are Jewish men. But the, some of these women were not sure. Actually, Tamar, we're not sure. Scholars aren't sure if she was Jewish or not. But there, and Mary, she was Jewish, right? But there are three names of women who were not Jews that are part of Jesus' family tree. And why is that significant? Why is it significant that these women are part of Jesus' family tree? Well, here's the deal. Jesus has Canaanite in his family tree, thanks to Rahab. Jesus has Moabite in his family tree, thanks to Ruth. Jesus has Hittite in his family tree, thanks to Bathsheba. Jesus is the great great, great, great grandchild of the nations, not just Israel. These women are Jesus's great, 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 great grandmothers. I believe that Matthew, who is writing to a Jewish audience, Jewish Christians would be reading this gospel account. And when they see that in Jesus' family tree, the nations are there, that is foreshadowing what Jesus would come to do. Jesus is a child of the nations whose heartbeat will be for the nations. Not just Israel, for the nations. His heart will be for all people. All people will be welcome to be part of now his family tree, a new family that will come from him. All the nations will be welcome. And also it's important to note that God can use broken stories to bring about a powerful redemption. Why do I say that? Well, these women went through painful stories. Some of you know their stories, right? Painful stories. It's not that they were the ones sinning, that there was some sin done to them, right? 
And they were actually some very vulnerable places in their life. Just think for a minute of Rahab, the prostitute. Think of Ruth, the immigrant. Think of Bathsheba, the sexually abused. God can redeem broken stories. These women live through so much pain and brokenness, and they are Jesus' great-great-great-great-grandmothers. God can take painful stories and redeem them, and their stories bring me hope. This is the hope of Christmas. I want to let any of you know as you walk through a broken story, a story of deep pain, what does it mean, not just for your own biological family line, but for the people that you'll disciple and build into and the stories that will come from your life? And to say, I'm part of a faith family where my story matters and how God works in and through my brokenness, it matters. Look at Jesus' family tree. Look at the numbers. Look at the broken stories. Look at the women from the nations. What child is this? What is he going to do? Let's put it together. This is a child who brings a new genesis, a new beginning, and a fresh hope. This child, his name is Yeshua, one who will save you from your sins, me from my sins. This is the child who is the Messiah, the anointed one, and the King of kings. This is the child who comes in the line of David, and he is the rightful heir to the throne. This child is the son of Abraham, the one who will bring a blessing to all the nations of the world. This child arrives bringing the seventh set of seven, symbolizing a, the perfect one who ushers in the perfect kingdom, the perfect age to come, the new creation, offering rest to all creation on the seventh day. And in the three sets of 14 generations, we hear the complete resounding message that the king has come, the king has come, the king has come, David, David, David. And this child is the one who will bring a blessing to the nations, not only Canaanites, not only Moabites, not only Hittites, but Canadians too. And all peoples will find grace in this king. And finally, this is the child who will take broken stories, turn them around and bring hope and healing to a hurting world. Are you ready for Christmas? This is our hope right here. He's the light of the world. He is our hope and joy. He's the rightful king, and he's got all power to put the world back together. And my hope this morning, this is what our prayer team has been praying, is that today, two words, you would be filled with courage and hope. Courage and hope. Take courage. The king is here. Just a little side comment. This is why, this is why we mark the beginning of time or the age we're living in now um, to Jesus' birth. The whole world does it. If I were to ask you, why is it, to, why is it 2022? Do you know how to answer that? Why is it 2022? It's 2,000, 22 years from what? From this, <laughs> from Jesus' birth, right? The entire world does this. You say, well, hmm, what happened 2,022 years ago? This, the king showed up. The planet, the nations of the world, we call this year 2022. 2,022 years from the birth of the king, the center point of world history. Every time you look at your watch, you're reminded of Christmas. 
Every time you grab your phone to see what day it is and what time it is, it is that amount of time from the climax of history, from the birth of the king. We can't escape it. Even the secular age we're living in, you can't escape it. We mark time based on this day because this was the moment where God's good king and kingdom had arrived. So take courage. The king is here and he has a kingdom. Mark 1, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God. That's the good news. Saying the time is fulfilled. Just pause. Look at that. The time is fulfilled. It's happening now, people. (laughs) It's happening now. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. Believe the good news. It's, It's here. The time is fulfilled. Jesus has come. So take courage. Remember, we've been using this quote often in the last season here at North Langley, but Tim Mackey says, the kingdom of God is how God is taking back his world. When Jesus shows up as the rightful king, he's here to take back his world. He's here to start reversing the curse of sin and death. He's putting his world back together. God is putting the world back together in Jesus. And the entire story of scripture is how God is taking a broken world and healing it in and through the rightful king. That's Jesus. And all those who are welcomed into this new kingdom get to taste the healing that God is bringing the world. Do you see it? Do you see him? I want to just say I've been reflecting on really what this means and I I have felt in my own life that I have a vision problem. I have like a seeing problem. My eyes are drawn to everything that's wrong. Maybe you're like me. (laughs) My eyes are drawn to the things I'm afraid of, the things I'm discouraged about, things I'm depressed about. I I just, it's like my gaze is, and my gaze is actually down. I'm so focused on those things. And what I wonder if what the Spirit of God wants to do in us, what Matthew, the gospel writer, wants us to do is to lift our gaze and to fix our eyes on Jesus and to see what the Spirit of God wants us to see. Because I will naturally look. I will look to the discouragement. I'll look to the fear. Right? But I wonder if right now it's take courage. And how do you take courage? It's look up. Look up and see Jesus. If, if I were truly to hear what the Spirit wants to say through the gospel writer, to open my eyes, I think I would see Jesus and I would see a new creation coming. And I would see a, a, a cleansing of sin like a literal cleansing of my sin. And I would see the good news that there is a king who sits on the throne and he's got history. He's in charge of history. He's got it in his hands. And and I would see a blessing for the whole world that God is not angry at the world. He is filled with, he's ready to bless the world in and through Jesus. And that he loves me and that he loves you and that he can take this broken world and put it back together. He's the one who does that. And if I saw that, like if my eyes could open and see it, I would be filled with courage and hope, even in the midst of pain and suffering. Even though all this stuff that my gaze could look at, I mean, it's still happening. It hasn't changed, but my gaze is up and I'm looking at the one who loves me and I see him for who he is. What if I had eyes to be able to see it, to fix my eyes on Jesus 
Hebrews 12 says this, let us run with perseverance the race marked out for, for us. Here it is, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. And the rightful king, what would he come to do? He would offer his life on a cross. And over his head, in mockery, it would say, the king of the Jews. And Pilate put that there to mock him. But there was never a truer statement. That's what kingship looks like. Take courage. That's what your king looks like. Willing to die for you. To shed his own blood for you. Fix your eyes on him. Right? He rose again three days later. He's got power over death itself. Fix your eyes on Jesus. No matter what you're walking through, be filled with courage. Be filled with hope. You're not alone. The king's on his throne. This does not mean we won't suffer, right? We may lose everything in life. Actually, if you keep reading, there are those who lose everything in life. But they had the love of the king. They were part of a new creation. And even though they died, uh, they had eternity. They had life and life to the full. And they knew that even though, even though you and I die, that God is working a redemption that is larger than our own life. And our life is so small, but God will use it to heal the world. Do you see that? He can work within your brokenness to bring hope and healing. He's the king, and he has committed himself to make all things new. All things new. He's on the throne. And he's putting a broken world back together. And so I want to ask you as we end, where do you need hope? And where do you need courage? We're going to pray. And so I'd love us to stand. Would you, would you stand with me here? Where do you need hope? Where do you need courage? There was a moment a few years ago that I was at a Christian conference in England and I didn't know the, the pastoral team at this church, but I, I went forward for prayer and um, I needed lots of encouragement. I needed courage, I needed hope. And I prayed with this pastor and I'd never met him before, haven't talked to him since. And he had a verse for me and some of you know this story, but it was Joshua 1.9. And right when he said he has Joshua 1.9 in mind for me, I thought, that's out of context. Like, that's my first thought. I'm like, okay, Matthew, just get it together. Just, God wants to speak, okay. <laughs> and I said, okay, I just want to receive that verse. And the verse was, God's words to Joshua. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be discouraged. Do not be afraid. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go, wherever you go. And that ministered to me in a way that I, I can't even describe. I knew God was with me. I didn't have to fear. I didn't have to be discouraged. He's with me. He's walking with me. And I, and I genuinely believe that when we read Matthew chapter one, that's the message for you today. It's the message for you. Look at who he is. And he's here. 
and he's ready to fill you with hope and courage. So let's close our eyes and, and if, if you want to, only if you want, you can hold out your hands, offering to him <clears throat> any fear, discouragement, temptation, depression, all of it, <laughs> broken relationships, whatever it is, just hold it out. Spirit is moving in the room here and, and we hear his truth once again. Be strong, be courageous. Do not be discouraged. Do not be afraid. For the Lord, your God, will be with you wherever you go. He's with you now. Lift your eyes. <laughs> See Jesus, born humble in a manger and then suffering on a cross and rising from the dead. The King of Kings loves you and he's with you. He's not abandoned you. No matter what's going on in your life, he's with you. And in a minute, I'd invite you to come forward and receive prayer from our prayer teams. Receive prayer in our prayer room. Turn to each other and pray. We want this room to be filled with courage and hope that can only come from the Spirit of God. So Spirit of the living God, minister to us here, we pray. Come, encourage us, give us strength for a new day. Fill us with hope as we open our eyes to see you. Draw our gaze away from the temptation, away from the discouragement, away from the fear. And may we fix our eyes on you, Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before you, you endured the cross. And we thank you, we praise you, we lift up your name, Jesus, as the name above all names. You are on your throne and we are here because of your love and we love you and we trust you. And even in a dark, bleak season, we come to you with our eyes fixed on you, knowing that you have committed to make all things new. We love you, amen.